Hi, my name's Tim. And I'm Cassandra. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the European, European Soapbox. This week, we are talking about the European Economic Community, founded by the Treaty of Rome in 1957 and established in 1958. So it's the same six member countries from the ECSC that we spoke about in our earlier episode that also make part of the European Economic Community. Yeah, and so I think we'll start off this podcast by talking about the difference between the European Economic Community and the European Coal and Steel Community. And... The big difference is one focuses on coal and steel, one is more or less everything else. And that's the main differentiating detail. Mm -hmm. And so apart from us having the same six member countries, this is a less supranational institution and a more economic focused institution. And I guess, where do you want to start, Cassandra? What do you think? I guess kind of right off of that is how it sort of establishes single market or a customs union between all of the states that are members. Yes, um, yeah. And so I, I guess where we should start is what is a customs union and what is a single market? And more or less, similarly to how the European coal and steel community removed barriers around trading and exporting coal and steel, the EEC, the EEC removed barriers around all goods um, mm -hmm. within these member countries. And... We start out in 1957 after the European coal and steel community starts to see some success, but also where we see more European integration, further cooperation between European states. And just for a quick timeline, by 1986, most of Western Europe, apart from, I think, East Germany, Switzerland, and Austria, they are part of the European economic community. So this is adopted with great success. Yeah, and by the time it was, what, the 1993, when Maastricht essentially took over, which we'll talk about in the later episode, um, it became so big and so powerful that that new treaty was necessary. Um, yeah, the, the establishment of the, I guess, single market was huge in further cooperation. And that's, I guess, what this series will continue to harp on, is everything that we're talking about is furthering integration of all of these states and the EEC is obviously more economic than anything else. Yes, so the EEC does that economically and like Cassandra said, the Maastricht Treaty sort of takes over and creates a single market um, and the European economic community starts with that very essential customs union and it emphasizes both the want to integrate further but also the need to integrate further. They realized that this brought a lot of success and after World War II, with rebuilding your economy, rebuilding your state, this was very important to continue their growth in that sense. And so once, once we sort of get past that initial customs union, it begs the question, what else is included in the European economic community? And so before we get into the economic, I want to ask you about sort of the political aspects. Where do we see these differences from the higher order we saw previously? How does it differ? Where do we go from here? Yeah, so the ECSC, like we saw in the last episode, was kind of governed by the high authority. Um, but the EEC, on the other hand, is 
kind of controlled by four different institutions, which are the commission, which is used more of a, as an administrative body, my bad, um, kind of dictating or helping push negotiations. Um, the Council of Europe, which helped with legislation and lawmaking between, I guess, economic stuff, <laughs> and parliament that delegates what each country will do. And lastly, the Court of Justice, which interprets the international laws that the Council of Europe sets forth. So similar to what we saw before, these, once again, more or less copy and paste what mm -hmm. happened in the European coal and steel community. So we have, instead of having a high order, we now have a commission, mm -hmm. but the rest of them are really translated over. And so once again, we sort of saw this, this blueprint being created, and now it's being implemented into further um, integration. Yeah, that was just what I was about to say. Like like you said in the last episode, the ECSE being the blueprint is something that we will see over and over again with these institutions and treaties that establish different integration and co cooperation kind of agreements. And it's not all rosy. Let's let's <laughs> we have to make a note of this. Um, the Chancellor of West Germany, Conrad Adenauer, and the President of France, Charles de Gaulle, um, they started to disagree on a couple of things on where the, the Europe should go as a whole and how much they should be involved um, and where they should be involved. Should they be more socially active? Should they have more impact on the welfare state? Um, is it more important to be economically joined? And with the sort of introduction of the United Kingdom in the mid-60s, late-70s, you see a new player come into this field. Specifically, this is early Margaret Thatcher era. And so now you have the politicization of the European Union. And so now we went from sort of a happy, let's rebuild Europe institution to a, we shouldn't be doing this. This is out of our realm. I completely disagree with you. Let me boycott a meeting, which is a really famous sort of European moment where um, a meeting was boycotted to sort of stop a vote. Yeah. With the integration of the UK and with the disagreement between Conrad Adenauer and Charles de Gaulle, um, it really showed how political pressures are influencing the EU as a whole, as well as how it's now like kind of transcending into the economic issues that are coming about. Um, so like we said last time, the ECSC had a little bit of touch with the developing the welfare state and economic sovereignty, and the EEC kind of established I guess a difference between those two, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, now that we sort of touched on the political and Cassandra has a really good lead in here, we'll cover a little bit more of the economic, um, and feel free to ask any questions. If I'm not making any sense, we know I like to ramble. Um, so the first thing that it introduced is the customs union, which we talked about. This eliminates barriers to trade within the union. And then now we have a common external trade policy. Yeah, and that's something that I didn't fully understand, so I'm really going to need you to explain. Yes, so apart from us having the ability to trade within our borders, and this is from the point of the, the EEC, we now collectively make trades with people on the outside. So if the European economic community wants to trade with um, an African country and for some reason tariffs are imposed on whatever good they're trying to import or export, um, it's not just that Italy has one tariff set on this good, the entire community has a tariff set on this good. So you couldn't, for example, import it to France and then drive it over the border to Italy. That's no longer possible. But it's also, it, it removes a certain aspect of governance from the state 
and puts it on a national institution. So if the U.S. did something bad that Europe doesn't agree with or the EEC doesn't agree with, they'll set a tariff on it. Or they'll subsidize some goods from the United States with a trade deal, um, something along those lines. And so it's not just Italy does it, it's the collective does it. So the EEC really kind of, those ties that are between these countries now go beyond just we like each other, we don't want to like have war between each other. It's now whatever happens to us and whatever we have set on you guys is the same. I I like the psychological component (laughs) to that. Great interpretation. And then the next part we have is a common agriculture policy, which is as Western Europe is very focused on agriculture, specifically France, Italy, Germany, with wheat, barley, grapes, wine, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Um, these common agriculture policies, it, it adds an interesting field, not necessarily for that time period where it was more goods and such and produce, meats, etc. It's now, nowadays in 2020, 2021, this is where sort of the environmental component of the European Union comes from and stems from. So when we talk about pollution policies, this is sort of one of the ideas. And the Treaty of Rome, especially, um, is very important. And on a quick side note, um, which leads into the economic, or the environmental, the Treaty of Rome also established the European atomic community. So this regulated atomic energy in Europe. And with this sort of being... I mean, it will lead up to an awful disaster of Chernobyl. This holds very much importance as to using nuclear energy across Europe, and it sort of adds into the pollution. Yeah, so all right, that was, yeah, pretty great. Um, the Going back to economic kind of stuff, I know something else that the EEC did was expand upon the anti-competitive companies, which is essentially getting away monopolies, like taking that away. So if you could expand a little bit on that. Yes. So an important aspect of economics, like we sort of mentioned in the last um, podcast, is you want to strive to be competitive market. You don't want a monopoly because then um, your prices aren't optimal for Mm -hmm. the social outcome. And so... A monopoly might create what is commonly called in economics a market failure. And so what the EEC did is it started to actively fight these monopoly and sort of anti-competitive companies across the entirety of Europe. We see things such as um, price fixing and social wages. This is where we sort of really get into this and the, the, the EEC tries to fight monopolies on price gouging, making things unaffordable for people, not producing the quantity they should be. Um, At the same time, we also see them sort of try to cut corners, monopolies, um, by not charging social wages. And so the EEC tries to attack this by regulation, sort of in a form of checks and balances we saw implemented in the EESC. And so apart from that, we also see this is once again a sort of a social aspect where not only are we trying to be economically efficient but we're also trying to protect our consumers our workers just people in general and it's not the only social project that sort of comes from the the eec also the european social fund which makes it easier for workers to travel across borders um a very important aspect 
which we'll sort of see with the European Monetary Fund. This is sort of, once again, it further integrates from what we talked about previously in ways that previously were sort of unimagined in Western Europe. Yeah, so if I'm a chairmaker and I live in Italy and Germany has just the best chairs ever and they were like, you know what, Cassandra, we want you. I can go over there <laughs> with no problem. Yeah, and it's not overly oh, it's not only that you can go over there with no problem, it's even that maybe they'll pay for you to go over there. Ooh. So basically the movement of labor becomes significantly easier and again, leading back to integration. Once again, if you're allowed to specialize it becomes more economically efficient and moving across borders allows labor to specialize but it also allows companies not necessarily to have to move headquarters when right. they want to capitalize on not necessarily cheaper labor because that doesn't exist anymore um, but more efficient labor i guess that makes sense so overall i mean like you said or what we've been saying is the blueprint is very similar it has more economic goals mo- or like it's moderated by some political authorities And then in the very end, it has some kind of social benefits that come out of prioritizing certain economic goals. Exactly. And so I guess we'll boil it down real quick. The European economic community is, it removes a customs union um, and it allows for free trade of not only coal and steel, so moving away from the coal and steel community, um, it implements an external trade policy and it starts to implement internal policy. And along with, that is the European economic community, along with this in the Treaty of Rome come things like atomic um, regulation and different social, I I guess, institutions like the, Mm -hmm. the social fund and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So we hope you learned, I guess, a little bit more about the EEC on this episode and join us next week to learn a thing or two with us on the European Soapbox. The European Soapbox podcast reflects only the opinions of the authors and do not reflect the views of any affiliated and or mentioned organizations. We are students still in the learning process, so information should be taken with a grain of salt and not blindly accepted. The information is for informational purposes only and do not intend to serve as any recommendation. We do not intend to isolate anyone on this podcast and encourage diversity and differences in opinion. The European Soapbox stands independently from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The authors are the sole owners of the rights to the European Soapbox podcast. As students, we ask for the opportunity to grow and improve in our podcasting journey and progression as individuals. If you'd like to reach out to us, send us an email at europeansoapbox at gmail.com. This podcast is hosted by Cassandra Alvarino and Tim Fry. All music is produced by Till Iringer. That's T-I-L-L-Y-D-E-A-N dot W-A-V on Instagram. A special thanks to our friends, families, and supporters.